0: Hello, hello. This is Thea Fiore Bloom, PhD, and I am the artist and the journalist behind the Charm Studio podcast. And I'm so excited that you're here today with me. We're going to talk about the 10 greatest Italian scientists of all time that you've never heard of. And there's a reason you never heard of them, and that's because they're not men. Um, The Charm Studio podcast and the Charm Studio blog are for heart-centered artists and heart-centered writers like you who are interested in writing better, selling better, most importantly, feeling better by being yourself. So let's jump right in and look at these supernovas of science. Did you know that in the 11th century in Italy, there were female doctors? Did you know that in the 11th century in Italy, there were female scientists? And that these female doctors and female scientists instructed female medical students in the latest methods in eye surgery i'm not making this up (laughs) you can go to the blog www.thecharmstudio.com there's a link below to this uh particular post and there's a thousand footnotes and a thousand wonderful images. And I love the dance between art and science. And that's part of the reason I brought you this topic today. But um, you can click on all of the links uh, to back up all of this information. And I hope it inspires you in some kind of creative way if you're going to go down some of the rabbit holes I did to look at. Italy's attitude towards educating women in medicine was one of the most advanced in history from the 1100s through the 1800s, and it's an attitude that's surging again forward again today, thank God. So. Female geniuses have always cut a Milky Way-like swath through the firmament of science and through the firmament of the arts and many other fields, yet few of us actually know about the lives of these women. Are you up for meeting some of the world's greatest scientists almost no one has heard of? In order to do this, what I want you to do is take a voyage with me. It's a 10-stop imaginary voyage that begins in the Middle Ages and ends in our current year that I'm recording this podcast, 2021. Are you ready? Let's fly through time. So let's start by imagining that you're a woman and you longed to practice medicine in the late 1100s. Where would your dream destination have been? Southern Italy for sure. Why? Because there you would have joined a thing called the Salerno School. And the Salerno School was an institution that sprung up because in that specific location at that specific time because a kind of a perfect storm of historic events. And right around then, excuse me, Latin translations of Islamic and Greek medical texts were popping up all over and starting to pelt the shores of Sicily and North Africa, in essence. And Sicily and North Africa just happened to be these two places where both men and women were allowed to contribute to the medical renaissance that was taking place there. So in Salerno, you would have wanted to study under several doctors, but my favorite choice would have been under a famous female physician, by the name of Trotula. Trotula's our first scientist. Trotula of Salerno was an expert diagnostician and clinician. And have you ever heard of something called the Trotula? It's one of the most important medical books of the Middle Ages. Actually, it's three books, not one book. But the Trotula's collected teachings and writings of several doctors and healers. They think now, but the first book is most most assuredly just the work of Trotula of Salerno. The other two books are probably the work of her students. Trotula was famous for her amazing expertise in the then perplexing treatment of birth complications. And so all these great medieval manuscripts exist with illustrations of birth complications that Trotula was handling. And there's images of her, Trotula the great healer, holding up different kinds of flasks uh, in, in her laboratory. But what would a medically inclined gal like you do after the decline of the Salerno school in the late, in the 1300s? I think it ended in the mid-1300s. What would you do then? Well, <clears throat> if I were you and if uh, if you were me, you would have hocked your trousseau and rode to northern Italy because it was there. In northern Italy, you would study at one of the most prominent pre-modern European institutions of learning that's still around today by the name of the University of Bologna, which was an amazing, amazing school and historical school in that here you could become a scholar at the place that women and science were reaching unprecedented heights in the Western world. And at this University of Bologna, you might have met this amazing lady anatomy professor by the name of Alessandra Giuliani, She's our second scientist. She had a very short life, but she made a lot of history in her short life. Alessandra Giuliani was born in 1307 and died in 1326, and she began her career as a surgical assistant to Mondino di Luzzi, who's believed to be, um, in this great uh, image I have on the blog, he's believed to be the the seated figure uh, holding a giant book above, and he's looking closely down, smiling on a woman who's believed to be Giuliani, who's expertly working away and smiling at a cadaver. Even the cadaver is slightly smiling. Um, Giuliani was famous for being the only known female qualified prosecutor in Europe at the time. So a qualified prosecutor was a pathologist, is what we know today as a pathologist. It was the brilliant Giuliani who invented a method of replacing cadaver blood with dye to better observe the intricacies of the circulatory system. And this invention, unfortunately, like much of women's intellectual and artistic work from the past, like the work of great women composers, um, can no longer be found because it's been destroyed and lost to history. But an antique plaque that details Giuliani's contribution to medicine still exists as proof that it's all this woman existed and what her work existed and in, and you can check it out in the church of San Pietro in Marcellino in Rome, so let's say you're born later, maybe the fourteen hundreds instead. you would have gotten to study under a woman born in Naples, an incredible science star called Dartea Bucca. she's our number three gal, and Dartea Bucca lived from thirteen sixty to fourteen thirty six and check this out. She held both chairs of medicine and philosophy. So she's the chair of philosophy, the chair of medicine at the University of Bologna for 40 years. It's not that common. It's been, today it's getting a little more common that there are women's science chairs at universities, but, and thank gosh, but now this woman here, Dorothea Buca, for 40 years was both the chair of uh, two different departments, not just one, at this university for 40 years. Fewer records remain of Buca's actual work, but both she and Trotula, and actually a few of the other women listed here are honored in one of my favorite works of art. It's that as, a big assemblage piece called The Dinner Party by artist Judy Chicago, which I really encourage you to see if you're a younger person, a Gen Z, a millennial. You might not have seen the traveling exhibitions, but now the dinner party has a permanent home at the Brooklyn Museum. And it is one of the most stunning shows I've ever seen. To see the needlework up close of these the artisans that Chicago orchestrated and got together for this, never mind the ceramic work and the tile work, is just so inspiring. So I would check it out either online or get your butt to the Brooklyn Museum after all of the epidemics are are over. I think it it's a life-changing show for women to see. <clears throat> Excuse me. Come to the 1600s. You might have headed to Venice to go to the University of Padua probably. That's what you would have done to be close to this newborn star, our fourth scientist, the great mathematician and polymath Elena Cornaro Piscopia, who was born in 1646, and she died in 1684, and she's been compared to Leonardo da Vinci. And why was she compared to him? Because at the age of 11... This prodigy of Venice, as she was known, dazzled audiences of these kind of like pyrotechnic displays of genius in math and genius in music, genius in astronomy. And she didn't just astonish them in Italian. Of course, she was able to astonish them in six different languages. Around 1677, Piscopia also then took her doctoral exam and breezed through every difficult question tossed her way by the audience was like... um, her examiners. And in 1678, over 20,000 people, spectators, packed into Padua Cathedral to hear Piscopia's lecture. And after that lecture and after the examination, they, the crowd cheered wildly because she was crowned with laurel and became one of the first female doctorates in the world. And like many of our 10 women here, Cornaro decided against marriage and children to pursue her research. But you know, our fifth scientist, the amazing 18th century Laura Bassi, it wasn't the case for her. Physicist Laura Bassi was born in 1711, died in 1788, and she played a crucial role in the introduction of Newtonian physics to Italy. And Bassi published, you know, 28 articles on physics and hydraulics during her tenure as a professor and science chair at Bologna's University, and Bassi did all that while rearing eight children. In 1745, the Pope elected Bassi to an elite roundtable of scholars known as the Benedettini, and from then until her death, she taught experimental physics and electricity at the Institute of the Sciences in Italy. Well, what if all you cared about was math, not science? Well, our sixth female scientist and author would have been your ideal mentor, because her name was Maria Catana Agnesi, and she was often referred to as the most important female mathematician since Hypatia. And in 1748, the Agnesi, who was from Milan, published the first book in the world that addressed both differential, and integral calculus. And this book is so comprehensive and accessibly written, you could still find it on Amazon today. But it, at the time, it was so easy for people to understand and well that she rocketed to fame throughout Europe. What, but what if you dreamt of like blossoming as a scientist after Agnesi's F era, like let's say the 1800s, you're out of luck, no dice, nothing. It's so sad. The 1800s imposed strongly defined gender roles that effectively would have barred you because you were a woman from enjoying any formal science education, never mind being able to teach in an institution. You wouldn't be able to learn in an institution. And it would take till World War II to disrupt that suppression and Just like the Rosie the River phenomenon happened in the States, the same kind of phenomenon took Italy by force as well. And One innovator, our seventh scientist, who I bet you've heard of, miraculously managed to make a contribution in any way. And let's meet her. And she is Maria Montessori. She was, and you would think, well, she's not exactly a scientist, Thea. She's a teacher. But Maria Montessori, who was born in 1870, died in 1952, was actually a math prodigy. She was a scientist. She was a physician. A doctor, she was a philosopher from Chiarvelli, Italy, and Maria traveled the globe to promote a science-based teaching method that she invented, which we all know as the Montessori method. And the Montessori method was built upon years of her research as a doctor that and she conducted it with children in Rome San Lorenzo district, is uh, and PhD. Her method encouraged independent thinking, and it changed the nature of childhood education forever. And I, I didn't know this, but the two guys that created Google, Larry Page and Sergei Brin, along with the, this another non-entity, I'm, I'm joking, the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, all three of those men say when they were asked what they owed their inventiveness to, they all said their Montessori education. So there's something in that, Right. I had no idea that Maria Montessori also traveled the world to advocate for an end to war and that she was nominated three times for the Nobel Peace Prize. Our eighth fantastic female scientist did actually nab a Nobel in 1986 and she's a pistol. Her name is Rita Levi Montalcini. She was a Turin born Italian Jewish doctor and she won her Nobel in Prize for Neurology. She was an amazingly brave in the face of Mussolini and defied Nazi imposed racial laws to advance science. And Levi Montalcini and Stanley Cohen's research resulted in the discovery of the nerve growth factor, which is a chemical vital to science's understanding of how cells grow and how organs regenerate. She has an, an, just a fascinating identical twin sister uh, whose name was Paula Levi. The Italians say Levi, Montalcini. And they constantly encouraged one another. They both said that they thought about their work through the eyes of their sister. So they both thought about their work through a dual lens of art and science. So Rita thought about science through the lens of of the art, artistic eyes of Paola. And Paola thought about art through the scientific eyes of Rita. And Paola, there's a link to her art uh, in the show notes, Uh, has an incredible math, mathematics abstractions in it. It's quite fascinating. Prior to the Nobel, though, the science world largely ignored Montalcini's contributions to science. But now her works are seen as key to the fight against cancer. Her works are seen as pivotal in the fight against Alzheimer's and really important in looking for a cure now uh, for Parkinson's. Levi Montalcini had one other thing going for her, which is not scientific, in that she could rock an Italian-made silk suit, and she did so until her death at 103, and fabulous hairdos, by the way, too. However, our ninth fantastic stellar scientist, unlike Levi Montalcini, was definitely not fashion forward. Her ninth scientist was the practical and charming astrophysicist, Margarita Hack. She was born in 1922, sadly, she died in 2013, and she did things like she was famous because she wore an overcoat, turns inside out for her bridal gown. Margarita loved telling Italian reporters that her, quote, first and last appearance in church was in 1944 to marry childhood playmate Aldo di Rosa, to whom she remained wed for 70 years. She was a full professor of astronomy at the University of Trieste, and she was a stellar astronomer, meaning literally she studied the spectral classification of stars. She was the head of the Trieste Astronomical Observatory for many years and rocketed them into global recognition She was an outspoken vegetarian. She was an outspoken atheist with a really impish kind of sense of humor or wit. And she, like, you know, kind of like Neil deGrasse Tyson, she had this amazing ability to explain all these complex theorems in a really simple down-to-earth way. And that led to her, like Tyson, appearing a lot on television in Italy Hack won a ton of famous awards, but the rumor is the one war, award that really thrilled her was when the European Space Agency named an asteroid 855 Hack after her. The time that all this was going on, uh, to around 2012, was right around the time that Time Magazine declared our final female scientist as runner-up to President Barack Obama for Person of the Year. So Fabiola Gianotti, PhD, was born in 1960 and happily is still very much with us. And in 2012, this top experimental particle physicist announced something huge to the world. And she announced this, that she'd led her Hadron Collider team of thousands at CERN to discover the elusive Higgs boson particle. And scholars say that, that her isolation of that subatomic element, that Higgs boson particle, quote, completed the standard model of particle physics, end quote. Not bad, right? So Fermi Fermilab's director, Nigel Lockyer, stated that Fabiola, Fabiola is a superb scientist. She led Atlas to a great discovery and is respected and known around the world, end quote. In fact, Giannotti, not only was the first, she became the first director of CERN in 2016, amazing. And then uh, she was just recently awarded uh, in 2019, She was selected for an unprecedented term for the second time to be Director General of CERN. So her second-year term began on January 1st of this year and will go until 2025. Dr. Gianotti is well aware of the current disparity of women to men in the sciences and the women to men in the sciences in Italy especially. And so now she she's insisted, quote, in future we will have to be very vigilant that young female scientists have the same opportunities as their male colleagues, end quote. So I'd like to finish by saying take note that if you're a woman in the 21st century who longs to study science, your dream destination may once again be Italy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I would love to end with a quote by artist Anais Nin, who said, quote, life shrinks and expands in proportion to one's courage, end quote. So stay courageous, stay brave, stay eccentric. Be like my incredible friend Sylvia Larkin and just love the inner mad scientist within you and experiment in your art and be bold and be confident because you may not know it, but it is your art is serving others and um, and it's also serving yourself. You're not alone. Uh, your art is always there for you and so am I. You can always reach out to me at www.thecharmstudio.com Thank you for sharing your precious time, your precious energy with me. And I can't wait to see you again on the next episode of the Charm Studio podcast. Be well.